0: to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church located in Chelsea Alabama we value community fellowship and love for people from all walks of life for more information find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook
1: all right we are in a
0: series through 1st and 2nd Samuel uh, we've been calling this series prophets kings and heroes and so uh, if you have your Bible study you can turn in uh, we're going to start in First Samuel thirteen. It's going to be a lot easier, probably, for you to use the scripture that we have in the order of worship because this is a long narrative. Um, several people have said that they, they, it was very ambitious of me to try to get through First and Second Samuel between now and Advent, but we're going to do it, and so uh, this is why we're burning through a lot of the narratives and these passages are a little longer in the order of worship here. So we're going to be looking at First Samuel 13 and we're going to take various passages 13 out of 14 and out of 15 here. Last week we were introduced to Saul who despite the warnings from God was uh, through the prophet of Samuel became Israel's chosen king and the people at the time said we want a king like the other nations and so it wasn't that Samuel had a problem with Samuel himself but the idea that they didn't want God as their king number one they wanted a king like the other nations instead of acknowledging God as king but God allowed it anyway as he does so many times in our lives sometimes they're not good for us he allows to show us what uh, he's trying to show us here and if you remember Saul Looked, acted like the perfect king. If you think about it, he was tall, dark, handsome. He was acting with humility and wisdom last week as we looked at that. He is a battlefield warrior, a strategist. I mean, he, the guys, uh, he acted with all uh, humility, wisdom, and grace. And even some of the men that said, We will never bow down to him, he said, I'm not going to put him to death. I'm going to allow that. Uh, in my kingdom. So, after all the good things that we've seen with Saul, what happens now? I mean, will Saul be the king that Israel has always wanted? So far, so good. So, let's continue our story today, looking at Saul's rule as the king of God's people. We're going to read our passage here today. We're only going to read that first paragraph because uh, I don't want to go through every one of those because we're eventually going to go through every one of those verses. But um, for sake of time, let's just read the first paragraph. And then I'll ask you, uh, and they'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and we'll do our liturgy like that. It says here, Saul waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel. What's happening here is uh, Saul was waiting for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him, scattering from Saul. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, the prophet Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. Samuel said, "What have you done?" And Saul said, "When I saw the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come in the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishbach, I said to I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and I offered the burnt offering." And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he had commanded you. For then the Lord would have established a kingdom in Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God help us to understand the story today. Help us understand what you're going to see, what we need to see through this story. Help us to link this story to our story and ultimately to the story of what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Most of all, let's know the fictional story about a doctor named Dr. Jekyll, and then who drinks a serum that leads him to turn into this different person, a Mr. Hyde, who's a person that's just a reprobate is consumed with evil and violence. And, and over time, he takes more and more control over Dr. Jekyll's life there. And it's a story that reminds us, number one, that in every human being, there's a tremendous struggle of good and evil. But also what makes stories like that powerful, that on some level, if we're honest, we know we are capable of the horrific events that Mr. Hyde does, even more than that, we can relate to the struggle of good and evil in our own hearts that we've Things that we want to do by way of good that we just don't do. And things that we know to be bad, we we do it anyway. We're about to see another case, another case of Jekyll and Hyde here when we're looking at King Saul. The more he goes on, you're going to see like this tension and Saul almost like a schizophrenia that's going to happen that going to eventually just tear him apart. And we're about to introduce what seemed like the perfect man last week, the perfect king, to another side of him. And so at first, here's the problem. We're going to want to blame him for a lot of stuff he does today. But I would not point fingers too quickly. What do I mean by that? I'm about to tell you, we're about to see. We're going to look at three points today. Uh, First of all, and those points are in the uh, order of worship, in the outline. We're going to talk about what it looks like to a decision, a or, or Russian situation. Then we're going to talk about the idea of making rash vows. And then we're going to talk about ultimately rejecting God and His ways. So let's get into that. We just read this section here. And I'll remind you again, uh, here comes the problems. What we just read, Samuel told uh, uh, Saul, like Saul, let's go back to what we know to be true in Israel. Like we're going to look to the, the Lord for our victories, and we're going to sacrifice to Him. We're going to do what it what it takes to uh, keep that relationship with God, and then go into battle. This is going to be our sequence. This is what we're going to do. We've got an agreement here. He said, "I'm going to be there in seven days." Seven days have been arrived, and Paul, and Saul's getting a little hasty here. Um, he, as I said before, is the king that he always wanted, and here's the main reason that. that People are loving him in Israel right now. They're loving him. People in Israel will follow him to their death right now because he is great on the battlefield. Like He will continue, even after he makes mistakes, he's going to continue to win battles for Israel. He's great on the battlefield, but the rest of it, as you can already see, not so much. Samuel told him to wait to do the sacrifice before he went into battle until he got there as a prophet, but the situation got tense. I mean, you, you can't blame him. Saul's out there waiting for Samuel. Samuel said, I'm going to be here at a point in time. Samuel's not quite there yet. His men are leaving, and he's, he's getting desperate here. And then, uh, so he 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 does. He takes matters into his own hands. He, he takes the offering that Samuel's going to do. He's like, I'm going, to, I'm going to go through the motions, same thing. I'm going to do the sacrifice myself. And Samuel gets there, and he's like, what have you done you're not qualified to do this and then Saul starts blame shifting right that's what we always do it's much easier to blame others for our troubles when we make rash decisions i do it all the time I make a decision it fell apart i'm like what happened and i'm blaming it on everybody else and Saul's doing the same thing here or on the situation instead of searching our hearts instead of searching his heart and discover whether or not this is due to sin and if we're responsible Uh, We make decisions a lot of times like Saul. We're really not not at peace at it. But we're tired of waiting on God. This is one of the things we're going to see as a pattern today. A lot of the things he's doing doesn't look like an outright rejection of God. I mean, he's doing something. He's offering a sacrifice to God. That's what he's doing. But what we're going to see on the other hand is Saul here is not saying, God, I hate you. I'm going or I reject you. You're not going to be my king or whatever. He just was tired of waiting on God. Hired away Neil Samuel, and he just took his own control of the situation there. Let me tell you a personal story. About 10 years ago, I wanted a truck that I'd seen, and I wanted a van, and uh, I needed a truck also. So I borrowed money to get it, but I would actually crafted a plan. See, I've always done educational conferences in the past, and uh, I thought, I'm just gonna go ahead and get the truck, and then I'll pay it off for the money that I get from the conference. And, and I've been having a lot of success with these conferences. But there's a couple things here. First of all, I didn't have anybody sign up for the conference yet, number one. Second of all, my wife and I were not on the same page about this at all. I know y'all have perfect unity in your household. Um, but I kept forcing the issue. Long story short, I got the truck, and the conference fell through. I had to cancel the whole thing because I got nobody signed up for the first time. It ever happened. And I got us in debt. Now, I'm not saying all debt is bad or anything like that. I'm just saying this. I tried to force the issue and I tried to take matters in my own hands despite what I felt like God may be telling me to wait on and what others were telling me, mainly my wife through the process. See, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about this idea of waiting on the Lord. Psalms 27 says uh, wait on the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. This ties into our next one. Let's look at this: making a rash vows. So we already looked at he was rushing in a decision. Now he's about to make a rash vow. Look at the verse twenty-four there uh, at the bottom of that page, and it continues to the next. The men of Israel have been hard pressed that day. Now they're going. They they've already been fighting, and they're about to enter battle more uh, in, in another way. Again. And it says, the men of Israel had been hard pressed that day. So Saul laid an oath on the people. Because he he could tell they were starting to kind of faint. Curse be the man that eats food until the evening, for I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. (coughs) Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And the people entered the forest. Behold, honey was dropping. I mean, was just surrounded by honey here. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan, this is actually his son, Saul's son. Jonathan had not heard his father's charge with the people who owed. So he put, he was walking through the forest. He puts down his stick and his staff, and he puts it to his hand, and he dips it in the honeycomb and puts his hand to his mouth. And when he does, his eyes become bright, it says. And then one of the people came up to him and said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. The people were faint. And Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted just a little honey? How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. Now, the defeat of Philistines has not been that great. And they struck down the Philistines that day from Mishmash uh, to Malia, John. And the people were faint. Look at verse 23. Then Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Tell me what you have done. And Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me and much more. You should surely not die, Jonathan. And the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who'd worked the great salvation of Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, there will not be a hair of his head fall to the ground. For he has worked with God this day. So in this way, the people have ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. They basically pleaded on his behalf here. So here's the next situation. About the time... Saul decides to lead his men against the Philistines. He puts these people under this oath, requiring that they not eat anything all day long. They're not going to stop. And he says this, we're going to keep going. Y'all are not going to be distracted by anything. And look what he says. He says, I will have vengeance on my enemies. Now we're seeing something, right? It's becoming all about Saul. For Saul, in his mind, the battle is his not God's anymore. There's no we with Saul here. Only an I. Giving no, well, uh, no um, thought to the welfare of his troops. He orders them to not eat or they're going to be cursed. Saul's men are distressed. They're not happy about this at all. And then the faithfulness of the men is put to the test because they're starving to death and they walk through and there's honey all around them on the ground in the, in the forest. To their credit, they didn't touch it even though they're about to pass out. But see, Jonathan, his son, didn't even hear about this stupid curse. And so he eats it, and he's refreshed, and he's trying to figure out, why are y'all all, like, not eating? And then that's when he he's told of his father Saul's oath, and Jonathan speaks out the criticism of his dad's command, and he said, all my father's doing right now is just troubling the land. He knows this is bad. Here's the thing you have to realize about this here. Saul, in his desperation, he's got to a desperate place here. And he's he's got this one-track mind about his agenda over God. He's requiring more from his men than God himself has required. And here's the thing. We do this all the time. When we're desperate, when we start wanting things done in our life the way we want it, we start dreaming up guidelines for ourselves and for others That God never lays on us. See, making rules and promises that are not a part of God's plan, even bargaining sometimes, God, if you'll just give me this, I will do this, in a way that God is not asking or even requiring, these are all ways of rejecting God and trying to put situations and other people under our control. See, this is a real crisis for Saul. And it's the beginning of the end of his kingship, if you want me to go ahead and spoil it for you. And now people realize the king is foolish, and his son is Jonathan's faithful, and now they're essentially giving Saul a vote of no confidence. His reign is waning, and the Philistine problem still remains. Let's look at the last point here. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord has sent me, To anoint you king over his people of Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I have noted that Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. So basically Saul's saying, I mean Samuel's saying to Saul, he's like, okay, listen, you're still king. I'm still, I'm still got, you, I still, you still have my back in here, but there's one thing the Lord is asking of you. There's enemies out there, enemies of God that are still going to keep terrorizing his people from this point on. And you've got to go out and destroy them totally. Take no prisoners, take no spoils of war, get rid of it. Look at verse 9, but Saul and his people spared Agag, which is actually the leader, the king of that group, the Amalek's. And hey, look what else, and the best of the sheep and the oxen, and then the fattened calves, and the lamb, and all that was good, and he would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. Pretty convenient, right? Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night, then he goes and he says to Samuel, I mean, then Saul goes, he confronts Samuel. Look at this section. Saul says to Samuel, Okay, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return to me, that I might bow before the Lord. You notice know, the order that he said? He says, "Pardon me, you pardon my sin, and then I'll bow before the Lord. And Samuel said, you know, I will not return with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Think about it. This looks like a confession by Saul, and it is not. We do this all the time. Like Saul is, uh, Saul is saying here, uh, he, he doesn't really say, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to God here, I'm repenting God, I repent for you. He's saying, okay, I'm wrong before God. Samuel, can we make this right? So I can go on and, and, and do this, and then I'll bow down to God, and then we can start crapping Bibles again. Uh, look at our quote for the day. It's at the very beginning of the order of worship. quote by Matthew Henry. Look what he says. He says, Saul's make, Saul makes this confession to Samuel only. He admits that he had transgressed the commandment of the Lord and Samuel's words, but he only asked Samuel's pardon, and that is not sufficient. He does not seem to grasp that Samuel was speaking for God, that his words were God. See, Samuel is not confessing. He's making excuses, and he's trying to backtrack and crab call and do everything he can to bargain with Samuel and God to get back into standing here. And he says stuff like, I fear the the, the people, that, you know, and I listen to them. When have you ever seen Saul through this whole story, listening to the people? He doesn't do that. But why? I mean, here's why. He's most interested in saving face more than really penny. This is a private conversation between the prophet Samuel and the king Saul. And Saul wants to keep it that way. After this, and we didn't have time to put it in the passage today, Saul asked Samuel, To participate with him after after they won some battles here, and Saul keeps winning battles. By the way, he asked them to participate with him in a Thanksgiving service to honor Saul before the elders. Can you imagine the audacity? He wants no one to know that God had rejected him as king. Here's what I want you to think about today: Saul's sins were not that he rejected God openly. Here's what his sins were. He was flippant with what God said, and he was trying to force everything that God has commanded him into his own agenda. He never said, God, I reject you. It's far more subtle than that. He ignored God. He was always ignoring God and just taking control and doing it himself. He discounted God when he was making decisions. He, doesn't, he never consults God. In the same way that you and I reject God a hundred times over, all the time in different ways. Before you judge Saul, we are Saul. We do this all the time. We try to take control of our lives. We don't consult God. And we, even when we do hear maybe the voice of God or the voice of reason from other people in our lives, we keep moving forward to accomplish our own agendas. Saul's reign is not a total failure, not least in human terms. He's winning battles. And he's going to continue to win battles. But something missing. God is not with Saul anymore. We must remember that Saul is is the perfect idea to the people of a king. Attractive, impressive, noble, military giant, just a warrior on the battlefield. But he lacks a key quality that God wants to see in us and that he wants to see in a king. That is heart faithfulness that leads to obedience to God's ways and not our own. Without this attribute, for all the things that Saul did for his people, God considered him a failure no matter how successful He appeared in the human eye. The same with that, God may allow us, in a lot of different ways, to experience success in our eyes and the eyes of others, but that's not true success if it's really not aligned with with God and His agenda. God is interested in our thriving and our flourishing as human beings, but in the ways that He deems as successful, not ours. The Bible asks, what does it profit to be super successful Gain the whole world and lose your own soul. This is bad for Saul. Real bad. But God in his grace and mercy, and we're going to see this coming up, God in his grace and mercy has a new and better plan for his people in mind. You know the story. You know that David the shepherd boy is about to be anointed king, but that's not the king I'm talking about. I'm talking about the king of kings. That was a part of God's plan the whole time. See, Jesus is the great king, the king of kings, the one who is... Ultimately, God's chosen and anointed to rule now and in the past and forever. The Israelites wanted a king just like every other nation, like everybody else, but God sees it differently. Here's the last thing I'll say. It turns out that what Israel and what we really need is not someone who's physically impressive, is not a a, a brilliant strategist on the battlefield, is not someone that's just economically astute that's going to protect us and find us security in a lot of those no, no, we really need is a leader a king has the right heart a king that can truly save others not just from physical fears and physical dangers but from our sins that will save our souls Saul can never be that king nor no king or leader has ever been can be or will be the only one is always Jesus so at the end of the day here what I'm saying is this place your hope Your decision making. Your need for control that you have. The need to to want to put your agenda before everything else. Your ability to try to fight your own battles. Turn that over to Jesus today. And Him alone. He's the only one that can do that. Only then in your life will you ever find true peace and joy and freedom and and, and security. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for the fact that you sent your son to be the king and leader that we will never have. Um, help us to manage our expectations about the leaders around us because every leader that we're, that is around us, including me, is just broken. They're always going to be disappointing us. Help us to understand what it means to submit our control, turn our control over to you, uh, submit our decision-making over to you, Lord, help us just get to the end of ourselves to turn to you. Help us to wait in a world that's just telling us you need to make a decision now. Help us to wait. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at ten thirty on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook.